Well, a little bit of a change this morning. I was, the plan was to do the, continue the Y series, Why Give, but uh, just wanted to teach from a psalm this morning. I just thought it would be good. And uh, so I'm going to teach from a psalm this morning. And if you would turn to Psalm 98. And if you would read Psalm 98 along with me, simply it is a psalm of praise, a psalm of praise. Starting in verse one, oh, sing to the Lord a new song for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness. And the peoples with equity. Father, I pray this morning that this psalm of praise would be one that would fill the mouths of every person here. That our lips would sing for joy for all that you have done. Lord, I pray for my church this morning. I pray and ask that you would speak to Every person here, engage every heart and every mind. And Lord, help me to communicate truth this morning, that you might be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Tremper Longman says this, he said, some books of the Bible are hard to find. When a minister calmly asks the congregation to turn to Nahum, panic spreads throughout the pews. No such problem occurs with the book of Psalms. Besides being one of the longest books of the Bible, it is located at the heart or center of the Bible. By opening your Bible to the middle, you usually open to the Psalms. But the Psalms are at the heart of the Old Testament in a far more important way as well. The Psalms are the heart of the message of the Old Testament, the central theological concept behind the Psalms, not to speak of the rest of the Old Testament, is God's covenant with his people. As we read the Psalms, we are entering into the sanctuary, the place where God meets men and women in a special way. They were composed in response to some life situation. When the psalmist experienced God's love and salvation in his life, he sang with hymns of joy. When he experienced hardship, he composed a lament. When God answered his petition, he thanked God. The psalms are a conversation between God and us. 
And that conversation is direct, intense, intimate, and always honest. I love what Longman says here. He says, the Psalms bring us into the sanctuary of God, where we meet with him in our most personal experiences and and oftentimes the most troubling moments of our life. The sanctuary of the Psalms should be a sacred place for us to be open and to be honest and to bear our true emotions and to experience the the nearness of God, to experience his compassion, to experience his love, and to experience his power. That's a lot to say for all of just one book of the Bible, the Psalms, but that's exactly what is intended for the Psalms. The Psalms are a place for us to run to, to find God in our most human frailties and to speak to God and to bear our emotions to God, to pour out our troubles, to, to sing our praises, to communicate with God as in a most human way, as we read the Psalms written by David and others. And we see that David never held back. He was just honest. I, that's what I love about the Psalms. And what we discover in the Psalms again and again as we run to them is we are reminded of God's covenant with his people. How faithful he is to his people, to those who belong to him. And it is there that we draw near to the Lord in an even closer intimate relationship. Psalm 98 is a hymn of praise reflecting on this covenant, on how God has fulfilled his covenant promise to Israel. It is a, it's a poem. It is divided into three sections or stanzas that declare, declare the praise of God, Israel's praise as savior, as king, and as judge. And as a, as a hymn, it has two characteristics you will see in most hymns. It is a call to worship and then a reason for praising God. This call to come and worship God and the reason behind why we are to worship God. And I, again, Longman says this. He said, this song, this psalm right here bursts at the seams as it praises God. It bursts. At the seams as it praises God. So my proposition for you this morning is this. Since this is a, this is a psalm uh, from Israel of deliverance. Is having delivered each of us many times. As the divine warrior. Our praise for God should be bursting at the seams. Our praise for God. And that is. I don't think that's often natural to us. Last night, I was watching a football life. And I was watching, for those who are old-time Redskin fans, I was watching John Riggins' biography. And it was fascinating. But what was most fascinating in this biography was, 
as they were going through, they're showing, obviously, scene upon scene of John Riggins running the football and scene upon scene in RFK Stadium and Joe Gibbs error and Super Bowls and wins. And you see the fans in the stands, not as the Redskins fans sit today, forlorn with long faces, but as the fans of the 1980s when Joe Gibbs is winning Super Bowls and people are just, they're painted and they're screaming and they're dressed up and they're falling all over themselves and it's in public and nobody cares. Everybody's just going crazy and they are having the time of their life. And yet you show up on a Sunday morning sometimes. And thankfully, you're not wearing war paint. I can appreciate that. But our, our emotions tend to get a little subdued. We tend to little, get a little bit more quiet and more refined. <laughs> psalm 98 is a psalm of praise. And it exists to help the Israelites remember That's what these psalms do. It was to help the Israelites. This was a later psalm. This was uh, to help the Israelites remember God's faithfulness, to remember God's kindness, to remember God's mercy and love and power and deliverance that he has worked on their behalf. These psalms exist to draw out of us worship and to remind us, as it does Israel, Not to forget all that God has done in our lives. He is their God who has been faithful again and again. Psalm 103.2 is a psalm that was written for this very purpose. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then he goes on to declare of David. David declares this, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Oh, all of these wonderful remembrances of the things that God has done. And that's what Psalm 98 is about. It's a psalm of remembrance and praise. And in each stanza, there are three stanzas here. And verses 1 through 3, stanza 1, 4 through 6, 2, 7 through 9, 3. In each stanza, the, the, the praise begins, expands. It just gets bigger and bigger. So three points this morning. In each stanza, as we see this expansion of praise, the first one is Israel is to praise God for saving them in the past. Look at verses 1 through 3. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. He's looking to the past, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. And in, in some, some versions, it would say deliverance or victory. He has, he has worked salvation or 
victory for him. The Lord has made known his salvation, his victory. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. He has delivered them again and again. The psalmist is appropriately calling Israel to praise God as their deliverer, as their savior. And although a specific deliverance is not mentioned in this psalm, it is reminding Israel of God being their savior time and time again. Each of the first three verses uses the word salvation, a salvation that it's the very meaning of the heart, uh, the name where you see Lord in, in capital, capital letters, L-O-R-D, Lord meaning Yahweh. Meaning the God who is a deliverer, the faithful God who demonstrates his covenant love, the, the faithful God who demonstrates his salvation, his mercy and his love. And he has rescued them again and again. He is the God of their salvation. He has delivered them. Psalm 98 in the, in the life of the nation of Israel is actually a well-worn psalm. It is a psalm that has, was later on in Israel's history and it was used again and again. Every deliverance that Israel experienced came to them by God's hands. Those who lived in ancient Israel at this time would be very familiar with Psalm 98. Very familiar, especially as they read the first section. They'd be reminded of being delivered at the Exodus. They would remember being delivered When Joshua was leading them in war, they would remember God delivering them from foreign oppressors. They would remember God delivering them from the Philistines. They would remember the time that they were brought back as a remnant from Babylon. These were the times when Psalm 98 would be declared, would be praised. Because Israel would forget. And that's why... Psalm 103, and forget not all his benefits. I know how often in the times of my trials or sufferings or troubles or whatever, I forget the Lord's benefits. I can forget the deliverances that he has already brought about in my life and in the midst of my suffering or or trials or troubles, maybe I don't experience deliverance at that moment. Instead of deliverance, it's about perseverance. But I am to remember that God has faithfully delivered me again and again And again, and this well-worn psalm should be a well-worn psalm for us. Who in this room, who does not know, who knows Christ, who, who here should not have a story of deliverance. More than one. Verse 3 tells us why God has done, it's in verse 1, he has done marvelous things. And verse 3 tells us why, look, he has remembered. He has remembered. Even when we forget, he remembers. He has remembered his steadfast love. That word's hesed. Hesed. 
his covenant mercy, his covenant faithfulness. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. God has never forgotten his covenant with us. Even when we forget, when we do not remember all his benefits from Psalm 103, we do not remember that he has forgiven our iniquity and we live under condemnation. Oh, we should not. Because he has forgiven our iniquities. Who heals our diseases? Maybe we haven't had all our diseases healed. Oh, but time and time again, his compassionate mercy He has brought about physical relief to us. Who redeems our life from the pit. How often have we felt surrounded by our enemies. Overwhelmed by those around us. And yet, he has brought us out of the pit. And he says here in Psalm 103, he crowns you with steadfast love. Not only does he remember his steadfast love in Psalm 98, but in Psalm 103, he says he crowns you with his steadfast love. You wear the hesed, the covenant mercy of God. He has done marvelous things we read in verse one. How wonderfully reminiscent that God has done this for the nation that he has chosen. See, the the nation of Israel was no one special. It wasn't as though they deserved to be God's people. They hadn't done anything to earn being God's people. In fact, many times just the opposite. And yet God chose them and remained faithful to his covenant to them. And do we not be reminded of this for us in Ephesians 1, 4? Before the foundation of the world, he chose us. And we, as the Israelites, live under the same covenant mercy, the same hesed. Appropriately then, The psalmist comes to this in the end of verse 3. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And so that is why he begins in verse 1 to say, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. And the result is all, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. All the people of God, all his chosen ones have seen the salvation of God of the Lord. Oh yeah. Israel is to praise God for saving them in the past. But point two is all the people of the earth are to praise God as the true and present King in verses one through three, the psalmist makes it clear. God is our savior. But now in verses four through six, he says, let's move on because God is our King. He's not just our savior, he's our king. The psalmist calls Israel to praise God, yes, for his past deliverance. And now he commands not just Israel, but the whole earth to praise God as their present king. Look at verse four. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Now, this is the expanding praise. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. For those of us who can't make melodies, just use the lyre. (laughs) 
with trumpets and sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the king, the Yahweh, the Lord, the covenant God. Make a joyful noise. In verses 1 through 3, the praise is certainly loud. But this section gets even louder. Not only is Israel commanded to praise the Lord in verses 1 through 3. Now the people of the earth, all the people of the earth. Alec Matir calls this section a noisy stanza that piles praise upon praise to God. All kinds of music are mentioned from singing to harp to trumpets to ram's horns. All are joining in to praise God. All of this noisy praise is directed to one place, in one place alone. Look at verse 6. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord, the Yahweh, the covenant God. History is important. Especially in a psalm like this. Israel had a history of human kings since the time of Saul that we read about in 1 Samuel 9. A history of human kings. But every human king had his failings as we read through the Old Testament. Astute Israelites knew even David, the most blessed king of all, had his failings. He was only a shadow of the true king the the true Yahweh this king in Psalm 98 this is the king of all the king of kings the king of more than just the universe the king of all creation this is the king that we are to praise this is the king that we are to extol and to worship this is the king who rules and reigns in a sovereign wisdom and love and care a king who does not treat his subjects with disdain but knows each one personally this is our king god has been a deliverer to israel he is a king to all the earth and now the psalmist moves on and commands the praise to come from all creation and that is point three the entire universe is to praise god who is the righteous judge the psalmist does not let up but he moves on to even louder praise let the sea roar and all that fills it. Now, I, I tried, I'm reading this and I'm trying to imagine fish speaking and praising God. Just because that's what it says. All that fills in it. Sharks and whales and <clears throat> rockfish and whatever people eat. Those things are to praise God. Let the sea roar. Let the rivers clap their hands. This is known as personification. This the seas don't roar and the fields actually don't clap their hand. The rivers don't. But, but this is the point the psalmist is trying to make. How great God is. How great God is not just over this entirety of creation. But how great God is in your life personally. You 
are a part of this creation. And so let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the world and all who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. He wants everything that has breath to praise the Lord. He wants everything in all of creation to praise the Lord. Even inanimate objects like the sea and the hills and and the rivers. Now, that's not how people think about God. That's not how people think about life in church. Ask, Ask anyone to describe what they think church is like. And they will say quiet and somber and even silent. I saw a funny illustration. A mother was giving instructions to her three children as she sent them into Sunday school. And she said to them, why is it necessary to be quiet in church? And her son quickly replied, because people are sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) Now that was a wake up. (laughs) The psalmist Oh, he demands so much more even of creation because God is the one who created all these things. He created the sea and all the creatures in it. He created the rivers and he created the hills. And again, the object of our worship is is God, but this time not as Savior and not as King. Interesting, the worship of God here is, look at verse 8. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. Verse 9, before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Oh yeah, it's easy to worship him as savior. And yeah, we can we can get behind worshiping as worshiping him as king. But judge seems just a little bit out of the box. It's ironic that here the psalmist demands that creation praise and worship God as judge. The creation that he has brought together. And yet, the creation isn't just praising God. Romans 8 tells us what the creation is doing. If you remember Romans 8, the creation is groaning. Before the Lord. It is groaning. For likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness. Oh sorry let me go a little earlier. For I consider that the sufferings of this present age. Are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself would be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The whole creation has been groaning. So it's praising and it's groaning. And it's groaning and it's going to be groaning until the final judgment. Until God 
returns, until Christ returns and judges all the earth and all of creation will ultimately be judged and all of creation will ultimately praise God. Regardless of how they're judged, they will praise God. The psalmist praises God as Savior and King and Judge. All three of these attributes reflect really one major theme that we will see in just a moment in both the Old and New Testaments. It's the picture of God as a warrior who battles on behalf of his people. That is who God is for you this morning. He is a warrior who battles on your behalf who is a warrior who is committed to protecting his chosen people. We don't think of the shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And yet, what does the good shepherd do for the sheep? He protects the sheep. He does battle for the sheep. God is a warrior and he protects his people. Exodus 15, a very familiar If you remember the song of Moses, just after the Israelites were delivered from the Egyptians at the Red Sea, Moses sings this song. It is a song of praise. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and his rider. He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. Psalm 98 rings of Exodus 15. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Chariots, chariot, Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. The floods covered them. They went down in the depths like a stone. Oh, your right hand, O Lord. Glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries, our adversaries, your adversaries, he overthrows. You send out your fury, it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Oh, then you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Felicia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because... 
of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your mountain. Oh, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. That is behind Psalm 98. That is who our God is. He is a righteous judge. He is a loving savior. He is a benevolent king. And he is a warrior on your behalf. There is no adversary that you face at this moment, this day in your life, that God is not greater than that adversary. That God cannot win a victory over. Whether it's sin or sickness or suffering or trial or terror, it doesn't matter. God is your warrior and he will overcome. Tremper Longman says of this Exodus Exodus 15 sings a song of praise to God as divine warrior. God and his heavenly armor come to fight for Israel against the Egyptian army. God as a warrior is a theme which reverberates through the whole Old Testament. God battles for Israel again at the walls of Jericho, outside of Jerusalem as David defeats the Philistines and against Moab as Jehoshaphat goes to war. In Psalm 98, God shows himself to be a warrior as he saves his people from their enemies by the power of his right hand and his holy arm. He shows himself to be a warrior as he judges the wicked. And when God wins the victory, he is once again affirmed as king. That is who We praise. That is who we worship. This psalm about ancient Israel and these Old Testament stories of God working on behalf of Israel is a wonderful psalm. But a good question is to be asked this morning. What does this have to do with us? Because we don't fight against Moabite armies or Philistines this morning. The New Testament, though, actually speaks about us loving our enemies, not destroying them. Well, the truth is, we are in the midst of a war. If you look at Ephesians chapter 6, you are reminded of the war that we face. Finally, Verse 10 of chapter 6. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That, brothers and sisters, is who we battle each And every day. And if we lose sight of this enemy, we are on our way to defeat. But God battles for us. We take up the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. We put on the helmet of salvation. We wear the breastplate of righteousness. We gird our loins with truth. We shod our feet with the gospel of peace. 
we have the armor of God because God stands behind his armor. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It is against the evil forces in a heavenly realm. And in this battle, we need a heavenly and divine warrior. Tremper Longman again says, Psalm 98 helps us to remember the warfare we are engaged in and to call upon God to deliver us. That's why it's a psalm of remembrance as well as a psalm of praise. Remember that there's an enemy. Remember you need a deliverer. Remember there is a deliverer. Remember he will deliver you. So how do we... So let's look at how Psalm 98 fits into our own lives and our relationship with Jesus Christ. See, the gospel speaks loudly and boldly to us, actually, in this ancient psalm. Stanza 1, verses 1 through 3. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. We should be praising Jesus who has saved us. In the past, he has done a marvelous thing in, uh, in us. His holy, his right hand and holy arm have worked salvation in us, brothers and sisters. The Lord has made known his salvation to us, brothers and sisters. He has worked the righteousness of God in Christ in us, brothers and sisters. This is the God who we praise. Stanzas two, we should be praising Jesus who is our present king and we are resting in his sovereign care. It is why we make a joyful noise. It is why we sing praises because trumpets and the sound of the horn, we make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord, the Yahweh. We do not just live under the rule of a savior. We live under the rule of the king of the universe, the sovereign one who is in control of every moment, of every day, in every life in this room. He is ruling and reigning. There is nothing that is happening or will happen or has happened in your life that didn't come under the sovereign rulership of this king of the universe. Was God unaware or is God not aware at this moment? Of course he is. And it's why, brothers and sisters, we can persevere. We can be patient and hang on. We can cling to Christ. Because the King is watching over us. And then finally, stanza three. We should be praising Jesus who is coming as judge. He is going to be the judge He is judging in the future, but he will not be judging us based on our own filthy righteousness. He will be judging us based on us being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And it is a day of judgment we do not fear. Yes, he will judge all the earth. And those who don't know Christ will experience a fearful judgment, a terrible judgment, an eternal judgment. But that is not our judgment. 
That is why we praise him. He will judge the world with righteousness. It will be a righteous judgment, a good judgment, a pleasing judgment, a pleasing judgment to him. And for those of us who come to faith in Christ, a pleasing judgment for us. Revelation 19 speaks of Jesus coming as both warrior and judge who will do away with evil once and for all. That is what will happen at the day of judgment. This savior, king, and judge will do away with evil once and for all. All of the fallen pain and suffering and trial that we experience at this moment will end at that moment. Worship is always rooted in truth and history. A history of God and his marvelous acts. When we worship in private or in public, we should bring to mind the very specific acts that God has done in our lives. I realize teaching on worship might seem like a strange thing for a church that actually comes every Sunday and sings and praises and reads scripture and plays instruments. But there is a reason Psalm 98 is here, my friends. Worship can become stale over time. It can become familiar. We can subtly grow familiar and then, and then begin to grow a bit dispassionate with our worship, distracted in our minds, thinking about what lunch is going to be, thinking about the game, thinking about work starting. I mean, we just, it's like, okay, this, this ends at noon. We'll be out of here by noon. I mean, we can be distracted. Worship is about history. You walk in these doors. You should be remembering history. And that should stir your heart and your worship. There is a very famous song written from Psalm 98. It is a song that worships God as Savior, King, and Judge. And most importantly, rejoices that he has come and will come again. That author of that song is a man named Isaac Watts. And the name of that song is Joy to the World. A song that we have sung many times. And so as we prepare for Christmas, this is not, Joy to the World is not a Christmas song. It is a Psalm 98 song. It is a song of praise. Let's do that.